0: good morning i'd like to read to you from the book of daniel from the old testament i'm going to read chapter three and i'm going to read from the first verse a story you're all familiar with king nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and nine feet wide and set it on the plain of jura in the province of babylon He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials, that's the important people, to come to the dedication of the image he'd set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. That's a story you're all familiar with, isn't it? So why have I read it this morning? The answer is simple. Because if you look at the book of Daniel and you read it through and you realise what's going on, you see how similar it is to the days we live in today. Here we've got three guys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Jewish young boys who were taken from their home in israel at a very early age during the babylonian invasion the assyrian invasion and they were taken back to babylon they're about 13 and 14 at the time and they were put into the to be trained to be members of the babylonian civil service to be brought up as good Babylonians and just to make sure they could assimilate properly they had their names changed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are not the names that they were given they're not their Jewish names but they're their Babylonian names their Assyrian names because they wanted them to assimilate to become part of their culture and to accept their values which is exactly what's happening today Our culture around us is changing at a rapid rate. When I was a young lad, back in the Stone Age, there were, in this country, we lived by what were then known as Christian values. And since I've grown up, I've seen them all thrown out, one by one, by one. And worse even, I've seen those things which the Bible teaches and condemns as an abomination, we are now called to celebrate. Now this is exactly the same position that these three guys faced. And I thought, well Lord, how did they deal with it? Think of the pressure. They were young men facing the whole might of Babylon. The king had set up this statue and he said, Okay, I want, every, as soon as you hear the music, you've got to get down on your knees and you've got to worship this statue, guys. And these young Jewish people, boys, they thought, We can't do that. That's forbidden to us because we're forbidden to worship idols. We can't do it. So what happened? They refused to do it. And of course then the social justice warriors of their day went and reported this to King Nebuchadnezzar. These Jewish lads, they just won't worship the statue as you've commanded. So Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. And he said, right, unless you do it, guys, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. So what did Shadrach, Bishak and Abednego say to Nebuchadnezzar? How did they handle it? Did they say, well, let's go along with it. I mean, it's just us, four of us, and there's all these Babylonians. What do we do? What can we say? We can't influence them. No, they didn't. In verse 16 of chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. How many Christians today are willing to stand up to our society and say, sorry, I am not prepared to go down that line. I am not prepared to accept your values. And it's a challenge, and it's going to be a challenge that comes home to each and every one of us. One of the most depressing things I get each week is loads of emails from Christian ministries asking for prayer and for support and... Some days it becomes so depressing because they are. Please pray for this poor school teacher who, because they wrote an email to a friend standing up for a biblical principal, they've been sacked. Please pray for the doctor who wouldn't accept the modern thoughts on one thing or another, and he expressed, again, privately to a friend, a biblical principal he's been sacked preachers that stand on street corners they are arrested in case they offend other people you know the stories you've read them in your papers and you think lord what's going on and i read the other day i think it was about two weeks ago There was an article reported in the newspapers by an atheist, and he could hardly contain his joy. Do you know what he wrote? Some genuine good news today. Christianity is giving way to atheism. And what he was referring to was a new report, a new survey that's just been done, which shows that the number of people who profess to be Christian in the UK is shrinking and shrinking fast. According to the survey now, only 38% of the population now identify as Christians. And only 11% of those 38% now attend church. And you think, well, this is so depressing. What are we doing? Why bother? Why go on? Well, it's jolly good job that our Babylonian, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, our Jewish friends, did not have that attitude they stood up for Christ they stood there for God we trust God why did they trust God how did they trust God because they knew that in God they were safe they knew that whatever happened God was sovereign We want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Their strength was that they knew God. A God who was sovereign. And he was sovereign over everything. And one sometimes when we talk today we think poor old God there he is, he's walking about in heaven he's wringing his hands and you think, oh goodness gracious me look what those people have done no, God is not wringing his hands he's not wondering what to do his plan is unchanged his plan was set before the beginning of time and it's working its way out now What is His plan? There's a wonderful passage. In John 17, verse 24, when Jesus tells you what the ultimate plan of God is. Almost in one sentence, Father, I want those You have given Me to be with Me where I am and to see My glory. The glory You have given Me because You loved Me before the creation of the world. Isn't that wonderful? I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. That means you and me. All those of us who have given our lives to Christ, He wants us to be with Him in glory. That's the plan. And God will make sure that happens. That's guaranteed 100%. So... When we look at the world attacking us today, we can be confident, super confident. And particularly as a church, when we're just about to embark on mission, we need to be that confident. We need to be as bold as our Jewish friends were. We are not going to bow down to the false gods and the false religions of this world. God is never, ever taken by surprise. Whatever disaster might happen next week or somewhere down the line, God knows about it. He's already planned for it. He's already dealing with it. And you know, one of the great evidences that God's plan is bang on track and hasn't moved at all is prophecy. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher of the last century, he said, that if you want one proof that the Bible is a true and a supernatural book, you only need to look at the record of biblical prophecy. Think about it. Jesus' birth was prophesied hundreds of years beforehand, and every prophecy according to his birth was fulfilled to the letter. Exactly as it said it was, but but the scoffers today come up and say oh well that's easy the bible was actually written after the event so they were able to alter it to fit the facts well that used to hold water with some people but in 1950 they discovered in a place called qumran what are known as the dead sea scrolls and the dead sea scrolls they found a massive treasure of old texts and in it was a complete Isaiah scroll that contained the complete text of Isaiah and the wonderful thing is this scroll was 1,000 years older than anything we'd had before and it dates almost going back it's about, I think it goes back to about 600 BC so it's 1,000 years older than any text we'd had And when they compared it with the scrolls we have today, guess what? It was word for word the same. Nobody had altered it. And we could see just how careful the scribes had been at copying it. We can trust the scriptures we have. They're reliable. But as we study prophecy, we can see that God is dead on track. You see, Daniel and the Jews who were taken to Babylon knew that they were going to be taken captive because Jeremiah the great prophet had told them that the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their forefathers to possess. So they were going to be taken into captivity. Why were they being taken into captivity? Simply because they had broken their covenant with God. God had brought them out of Egypt and promised to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey, which He did. And And He set up a covenant, which is a legal agreement. You do this and I will do that. The trouble is the Jewish people broke their covenant. As they settled in the land, became more prosperous, Prosperous, they had other religions came in, and they pinched a little bit from that, and a little bit from there, and they started to bring in to the Jewish religion bits of other religions. And I'm sad to say that's happening today in the church. Often we see bits of other religions coming in and manifest themselves. And God said, I'm not going to have that. You've broken your covenant with me, therefore I'm going to send you captivity into Babylon. But he told them he was going to send them for a limited time. He told them how long, and that was how long they were there. And Jesus, he also promised that at the end of the time, the days are coming declares the Lord when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their forefathers to possess says the Lord and he brought them back into the land and they settled in the land and by the time Jesus was born they had already gone off the rails the religion had become a legalistic religion where they follow rules and not a religion of the heart. And Jesus Jesus then brings a prophetic word to them. And this is the word Jesus said to them. He said that they will fall by the sword and will be taken prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And that's exactly what happened. Forty years after Jesus spoke those words in AD 70, the Jews were scattered right throughout the world, in all the lands of the world. That's where they went. And when I was born in 1943, that's where they were. Scattered through all the lands of the world. But the Jews who studied their word of God, who studied the Torah, knew that God had not finished with them. And he promised that even though they'd been scattered right throughout the world, he would bring them back. In the great prophecy of Ezekiel in chapter 37, we read, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over them and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. In 1948 that prophecy came true. In my lifetime, in your lifetime. Some of you might be too young. But that prophecy came true. It came true two and a half thousand years after it was given. is that incredible? God knew two and a half thousand years ago what was going to happen in 1948. And it also says that Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled in 1966 Israel took back control of the Temple Mount it's letting Islam have it at the moment but Jerusalem controls it the Jews control it this should excite us because we can see the scriptures are reliable God is reliable so when we go out in our mission we can proclaim the word of God with confidence proud that we've been asked to share this word we're not to look at the news and see the world crumbling and be dismayed and be cowed no, Daniel and his friend were not cowed they stood up against Nebuchadnezzar we will not do it and what was the result? Nebuchadnezzar was humbled Wonderful. And our society today that's fast leaving God will be humbled because one day it will see God for who He is. I just want to say one other thing. One of the exciting things I've seen in prophecy is how fast the prophetic word is coming true in our lifetime. And it's getting faster and faster. One of the great prophecies was a rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, the third temple. And I thought, that's never going to happen in my lifetime. And one thing the Jews needed to build that third temple was one special thing. It was an animal that had completely red hair from tip to toe. And such an animal was born this year, right in the early part. That animal was duly passed by the the rabbis. He was then slaughtered and sacrificed. What for? to dedicate and consecrate the new order for the third temple, which has already been built. And you can go and watch it on YouTube. And they have already sacrificed the first lamb. This is incredible stuff. This is prophecy before our very eyes. So we can trust God. We can be confident in Him. Don't be cowed by Dawkins or any of these... Other guys who tell you it couldn't happen. And the last thing I want to share with you. Why you can be confident in God. Because of the character of God. And there's one passage I love in scripture. It's Exodus 34:67, Which tells us about the character of God. And as he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin That passage always gives English translators a nightmare because all those words there compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness in hebrew are one just one word and it's a little word hesed h-e-s-e-d one word and it is so wonderful that word it gives our translators such a job to translate it because what it actually means is kindness Faithfulness, mercy, goodness, loyalty, steadfast love. And it's all those things rolled together into one. And that is our God. That is the God we worship. That's the God we've been singing to this morning. Hesed, Lovely word. And we as God's people are to love that word. And we are to love that. Because hesed is the way we are to treat each other. And we saw that said, at its most clear on the cross where Jesus Christ himself, the only human being ever truly to be loyal to the Lord and his neighbour in every aspect of life, cursed for our sins so that we who are unfaithful might be clothed in His faithfulness and thus redeemed. In this way, God's original plan to have a people for His praise was faithfully accomplished. We are not suffering from wishful thinking when we believe that we're going to be with God in glory. Because that's been His plan before He even created us. And because he, and he alone, is in charge of the universe. No matter what your eyes and the news might tell you, he is in charge. That plan will come forward. And so no matter what trials you will face in this life, and Rob prayed for somebody this morning. He prayed for Hannah. Whatever tragedies you come across, I'm praying for my sister at the moment who's dying with terminal cancer. She's in hospital this week. Her witness to Jesus Christ puts me to shame. Because in the midst of trial, she, her faith and trust in Jesus has shone so brightly. And I just think that is so Incredible when we are asked to witness to jesus by sharing our faith do we think i wish i could be somewhere else or do we realize what a great privilege we have the mission we're going on is a privilege it's a privilege that god's given us as his children You know what I'm going to do with you? I'm going to bring you to be with me in glory. Now go and tell others about it so they may come too. That's this message. And it's a message that we can be confident. No matter what trials, what tribulations we go through in life, God will remain faithful to us. And we can trust Him. Because another part of that word hesed is loyalty. God is loyal to you and me. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. We're going to be like Jesus. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers, And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response? If God is for us, who can be against us? So let's go forward as a church. Don't let's be timid. Let's share the gospel. Don't let's be afraid of it. The Gospel isn't about making us happy. It's about making sure we are in glory with Jesus. That's what it is. So go out and share the Gospel of love, peace and salvation in complete confidence and with enthusiasm. Why? Because if God is for us, who on earth or in heaven can be against us. Amen.